Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Welcome to the Bulletproof Screenplay Podcast, episode number four. There's no point in having sharp images when you've got fuzzy ideas. Jean-Luc Godard. Broadcasting from a dark, windowless room in Hollywood, when we really should be working on that next draft, it's the Bulletproof Screenplay Podcast, showing you the craft and business of screenwriting while teaching you how to make your screenplay bulletproof. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome to the Bulletproof Screenplay Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Now, today's show is sponsored by Bulletproof Script Coverage. Now, unlike other script coverage services, Bulletproof Script Coverage actually focuses on the kind of project you are and the goals of the project you are. So we actually break it down by three categories, micro-budget, indie film market, and studio film. There's no reason to get coverage from a reader that's used to reading tentpole movies when your movie's going to be done for $100,000. And we wanted to focus on that at Bulletproof Script Coverage. Our readers have worked with Marvel Studios, CAA, WME, NBC, HBO, Disney, Scott Free, Warner Brothers, The Blacklist, and many, many more. So if you need your screenplay or TV script covered by professional readers, head on over to CoverMyScreenplay.com. Now today's guest is Ashley Scott Myers from SellingYourScreenplay.com. Ashley's been doing some amazing work over the years trying to help screenwriters sell their screenplays. And in our conversation, we really go deep into the weeds on the business itself today. What's the marketplace like? What do you need to do as a screenwriter to get noticed? How to actually package things? How do you sell things? Uh, how do you actually get your ideas out into the marketplace and actually sell a screenplay or sell a television pilot? And, uh, and all the kind of tips and tricks that he's learned by all the work he's been doing at SellingYourScreenplay.com. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with Ashley Scott Myers. I'd like to welcome to the show Ashley Scott Myers, man. How, how you doing, brother? Thanks for being on the show. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, I've been I've been a fan of what you do over at Sell Your Screenplay uh, for a Thank long you. time. So, uh, and we we run in the same circles. So uh, it's, it's just finally that we and we we bumped into each other at AFM in, in yeah, a hallway yeah. as you do at AFM. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Coincidental meeting, but yeah, that was fantastic. So, um, so first of all, let's talk about how you got into the business. Like, what was your big break to even you know? Because you're you're a writer, so it's tough. So, how did you do it? Yeah, it's tough. Um, so, I mean, I think I'm the typical, typical, uh, typical in a lot of ways. I grew up on the East Coast, Annapolis, Maryland, to be um, specific. And I came out here after college, you know, and just moved out here and just started working at a tennis club. I played tennis club, started to meet people. Um, there was a guy there that was up at CSUN, Cal State Northridge. He was getting a degree in communications with an emphasis, I think, in screenwriting. So I went and basically did the same thing. And one of the things that I got out of CSUN was as I was walking out one night, there was um, another guy in my class named Stan Williamson. I think that was his name. And he had just sold a script called Just Right that actually starred, and this was, you know, back in probably the late 90s, um, starred um, Sherilyn Fenn and Jeremy Priven. Yes. Um, and it was actually a very nice little film. Um, and I said, well, how did you sell it? And his answer was like super straightforward. He was responding. And back in like, let's say 1998, um, it was like backstage and there was the day 
um, Daily Variety and Hollywood Reporter. Back in the back of those magazines, they would have classified ads, mm-hmm. and um, there were production companies that would be looking for scripts, and you would see them. And I had seen them and submitted to a few, but I'd never heard anything from any of them. So I kind of had just given up. But he said, "No, you got to be persistent, and um, I'm, you got to send. It's going to be hundreds of letters. You're going to send out a lot. You'll probably never hear from most of them, but every now and then you will." And he said, "I've over the years, I've optioned a ton of scripts through this, and this one actually got um, optioned and then produced." Um, so that was how he did it. And I just started religiously doing that. Um, I just turned it into a routine. And every Thursday, I would go down to the public library and I could get all of these different magazines. And again, back then it was Dramalog and mm-hmm. Backstage West. And there was a sure. whole bunch of these things. Yeah, the Howard Reporter. And um, I would go through them once a week and I would make submissions. And um, and eventually I started to get a little bit of people, you know, calling, writing back. And, um, and eventually I optioned and sold my first script, a script called Dish Dogs um, that did end up getting getting produced um, and had Sean Astin and Matthew Lillard and Brian Dennehy, which back in 1998 was, was a um, big deal. They, yeah, they were they were hot actors. It was like a two million dollar film. Um, obviously, the world of independent film has changed a lot since then. Right. Um, but um, but it was a great experience um, in terms of getting on the board and getting a credit. But um, it was not a great experience in terms of like creative fulfillment. Um, <laughs> the, the, the typical stuff, right. the script was completely rewritten. And um, at one point we optioned the script to these guys and um, – you know, I just, just, a, this is a little on the side. So sure. me and my buddy wrote this script. We go down there and we meet him at this house and it's kind of, it's off where the big Larry Flint building is. So we're driving oh, by yeah. the Larry Flint building sure. and then you take a right into the neighborhood there. And, um, you know, it's like a, yeah. And it's like a beat up little house, um, small little, you know, ranch house. And we go in there and they're like, oh, we just did a movie with Stallone. And, you know, they hold up this poster and you're looking and you're like, that's not Sylvester Stallone. And it was Frank Stallone, yeah. you know, Sylvester Stallone's brother. So <laughs> that was the kinds of movies they were making. And that should have been our first clue that things might not be headed in the right direction. But to their word, like there was no, there was no funny business with the money. They never tried to cheat us or anything like that. They were good, cool. Like they were super cool guys to hang out with, but creatively we just didn't see eye to eye. And, um, they made a number of changes. And, um, I mean, in my opinion, anyways, the movie is, is terrible. Um, <laughs> and um, but but that was kind of my first four way into for a into screenwriting, professional screenwriting, I would say. Very cool. Now, you've been doing uh, you know, you've been doing a lot of work at Sell Your Screenplay and, and, and you do consulting and you work with a lot of screenwriters to help them sell their screenplays. What is the biggest mistake you see first time film uh, first time screenwriters make? Yeah, so I would say the this the single biggest mistake, and I really try and preach this on my podcast every episode, is that a lot of screenwriters, especially newer screenwriters, they tend to write scripts um, about you know some life experience or something that they think is cool, um, that <laughs> right. they think is interesting, but there is no discernible market for that movie, and you know it's basically dead on arrival. And even if the script is really, really, really well written, I mean, if it's if it's great, like if it's super well written, then you might be able to get some work out of it. You might be able to get an agent out of it. You know, you might be able it might be able to push your career forward. But in terms of actually selling the script, it's going to be very, very difficult unless you really understand like what producers are looking for and what budget range and you know just understanding some of the more logistical things of screenwriting it's not i think people that go into screenwriting they have this sort of fantasy that and and this is not this is a pure fantasy they they think that you know screenwriting i'm going to be able to sit you know on a beach in thailand with my laptop and you know create my stories and email them off to the producer and you know it's not like that um at, at the levels i've worked at and which is not even to say the studio level which i'm sure is even a whole nother um, you know, set of parameters. Um, but it's very much about, I mean, professional screenwriting is really very much about getting assignments. It's about, you know, getting networking with that producer. And then the producer comes to you with his idea and wants you to write it. He doesn't care about if he's the one paying the bill, he doesn't care about your idea. You know, he, he just (laughs) needs someone who understands how to put a screenplay together and, um, and, 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 can write it for whatever budget he has. Um, so I say that's the mistake is, is understanding what, you're actually how you're going to actually market the script, how you're going to sell it and understanding, is there really an audience for this? Um, too many screenwriters. And I include myself in that. Like my, the first couple scripts I wrote, I mean, one of them was called my, the, literally the first script I ever wrote. It was called midlife comedy. And, um, it was about this guy going through a midlife crisis. And here I am like a 22 year old, you know, guy <laughs> writing about midlife. Comedy. I mean, I, I knew nothing about midlife crises That's and true. there was no, there was no market for that script. Even if I did, even if I'd have been, you know, a 40 something, 
something guy writing that. There was still no market for for a movie like that. Got you, got you. Now, how would how would you how would you tell screenwriters to approach uh, prospective producers about getting their stuff looked at or produced? Yeah. So, I mean, in this in this day and age, I mean, there's a whole host of of ways to network with producers, including my own site, SellingYourScreenplay.com. I will not shill that here um, as much. Obviously, I think my own services are are fantastic, and and I have a variety of ways for for screenwriters to connect with producers. But there's other services out there. I mean, if you don't have a lot of money, the the biggest like thing that I think you can do is get an account with IMDb Pro. You mm-hmm. can get it for free for a couple weeks. But even if you can afford the 15 or 16 whatever it is per month. Um, like I'd say 80% of everybody in the entertainment business is listed there with an email address or phone number. So if you want to connect with people, you know, that's a quick, easy, cheap way to do it. Now, when you start talking about sending cold emails, you know, you're sending an email, you don't know this person, you're going to need a volume. You're not going to need to do it a lot. Um, and you're going to need some volume on that. Cause in most cases, they're not going to respond to you. Um, so you need to be doing it a lot consistently, but that's the quickest, cheapest, easiest way. There's other free services. I mean, I've had, um, screenwriters tell me they've connected on Twitter, you know, following some some agents or managers or producers on Twitter and being a becoming sort of a part of their circle, you know, tweeting at them, just getting to know them and not, you know, constantly pitching your scripts, that strategy. Um, mm-hmm. I think I just mentioned stage 32. Craigslist is a great free place, especially if you're writing short films. There's a ton of producers, directors on Craigslist looking for especially short films, you know, guys out of film school, even mm-hmm. people in film school, they need short scripts. This is a great way to build your resume. It's a great way. All of these things that I just mentioned, um, you know, knowing how, knowing who you're going to sell your script to, doing some short films is a great way to do that. Write some short scripts. They're easy to write. In this day and age, everyone's telling you to make them shorter. I mean, a five-minute short script is perfect. Mm-hmm. And for something like Craigslist, it's easy to produce and go on Craigslist, meet some people. And, you know, the James Cameron and the Steven Spielbergs of tomorrow, those guys are on Craigslist looking for scripts right now. Some of those people, you know, 99.999% of them, they're not going to not going to succeed. But some of those people that are looking for scripts on Craigslist, they will go and have careers. And if you get to meet those people early on, um, that's a great way to do it. There's Ink Tip. There's another service called The Blacklist. These are all you know online services. You can pay, in some cases, fees. And Ink Tip and Blacklist, mm-hmm. you pay a fee. And then, um, you know, you can upload your script or you can respond to leads. Um, and I have similar services to like the blacklist or ink tip at selling your screenplay. One thing I always recommend, um, and again, not to show my own services, but I have something similar, but I highly recommend the ink tip newsletter. They do once a week, they publish a newsletter that they send to members. And again, there is a cost to this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's maybe 30 or $40 per quarter or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it's, it's, you get to see what real producers are looking for and how, sort of granular that actually is and how specific it is. And, you know, you can start to get a feel for what you're writing. Even if you don't have scripts to submit to that newsletter, your scripts don't match what they're looking for. You will start to see patterns, um, you know, oh, female driven thrillers. You know, you'll see that over and over again. Scripts for, you know, for women, your good scripts for women. Oh, that's that's an underserved market. Maybe that's something that you can tweak on one of your scripts or maybe on your next script that you write, you can start to sort of figure out, Hey, these are what the producers are actually looking for. And, um, and maybe I should write something that people are actually looking for. Um, so I'd say those are sort of the main places I would recommend. Now you spoke a little bit about short films. Are short films worth it? Are it should writers do short films? Shouldn't they? Yeah, I, I, I highly recommend it. I mean, again, you have to, you have to like, um, you have to understand the expectations of, of something like this, the short film that you do most likely is not going to go viral and it's not going <laughs> to, you know, right. catapult your, your career to the stratosphere, but that's okay. I mean, if all you get out of it is a, you know, you meet an actor that you hit it off with, and then you know that actor, or you meet a director that you hit it off with. I mean, these short films, there's virtually no budget. So you're not going to make any money writing short films. I mean, you'll be lucky if they pay you a hundred bucks. In most cases, they're not going to pay you anything, mm-hmm. but I think that's fine. And especially for people that don't have credits yet, um, it's a great way to sort of get into the system, to get on IMDb, start to build a resume. I mean, when you're pitching to a producer, your feature film, and they say, well, what else have you done? Hey man, look me up on IMDb and you got six short films listed there mm-hmm. that totally puts you in another conversation yep. as just you know the guy that has done it so I would say understand what is realistic with these short films but they don't take that much to write and wouldn't you rather write you know 
let's say 10 short films and see one or two of them actually get produced than you know maybe two feature films and see none of them get produced um you know, I think it's a great way just to cut your teeth and network with people and see, you know, you'll start to understand why did they change certain things in my script? And you'll start to understand pra- the practical aspects of production. Hey, they, they, they changed this. And why did the actor, you know, he didn't say this line of dialogue, right? And you'll start to understand, well, this line of dialogue, it was sort of a tongue twister and, you know, maybe he couldn't, it didn't feel natural for him to say it. And that can enhance your writing. Um, so there's a lot of sort of subtle things that you get out of doing a short film. Um, and, and it just, it can't be underestimated. Like that's how you build a career. I mean, everybody wants to, you know, get discovered by the producer and win that Academy award. And that occasionally happens. So people think that that's like the way it happens because it happens, you know, once, you know, in a blue moon. But if you really looked at the people that have won Academy awards for screenwriters, I'd be willing to bet 99% of them, you know, they started off very modestly and worked their way up and eventually got to that point. Um, and everything starts, you know, it's, like the longest journey starts with the first step. And I think short films are great, great first step. There are, you know, there are no prodigies in our business, are there? I mean, there are no people that just show up and like, I can just write the Oscar winning script or I can direct the Oscar winning movie. It's, yeah. It doesn't exist. It's kind of a myth. <laughs> I think I think like Diaba Cody, um, who did Juno, you know, I think she's kind of the gold standard for that is that there's this sort of mythology behind her that mm-hmm. she was plucked out of obscurity and she did win that Academy Award. And um, but again, even if you drill into that story, her specific she was writing story, for years, though, she did. Correct. Yeah, correct. And she was she was working as a professional writer for a newspaper. So, I mean, that's another great background. Like you're going to if you want to be a screenwriter, see if you can get a job as a journalist, because that's a great background, learning how to communicate with words and, and, you know, how to, um, you know, mess with people's emotions and get people to have an emotional reaction to your writing. All that is great background and you're laying the groundwork potentially for, for screenwriting. Now, what are the, some of the key elements of a good script? You know, I'm, I I would say I'm big on structure. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of screenwriters, I think a lot of people like there's there's sort of two types of people and you know, one of the people are more are probably better with structure and one type of people are better with character. I would say most people who go into screenwriting like maybe 70 percent or 80 percent. It seems to me they're more interested in character um, than structure. And I think if that's who you are or, or in my case, as I said, I feel like I'm pretty good with structure, um, you know, you need to lean the other direction and kind of be good with the other thing that maybe you're not as natural with. Um, and so I would say that's number one. If I was going to give a tip is, is try and understand where you fall in the equation. Are there a lot of scenes where they're great characters, but it doesn't really move the story forward. You know, maybe you need to step, take a step back and be better with structure. Or the, the other thing is, is, does this script feel sort of robotic? It's structured well, but the characters don't feel real. Maybe I need to spend a little more time with, with the um, structure. But I would say the biggest thing I just well, what's a good script? The biggest thing is, you know, evoking genuine emotion. And that's ultimately why movies, I mean, the best movies, they evoke genuine emotion in the viewer. I mean, you have a visceral reaction to it. It's an emotional reaction to it. Um, and the screenwriter needs to start that process with the screenplay. I mean, when you read a good screenplay, um, you know, Shawshank Redemption is a good example. Reading the screenplay it's it's an emotional experience just as watching the movie. I mean, you really feel for this guy. It's he's really able just through the words on the page. You can really feel some emotion. Like he's able to draw that out of you. Um, and that's the thing. Like if you do nothing else, forget about structure for forget about character. If you can evoke genuine emotion in people through your writing, I think you're in pretty good shape. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can probably learn a lot of the other stuff. Um, but if you don't know how to get, get emotion out of people and you don't know what connects with people, um, it becomes very difficult to, to be a successful writer. Now, what are some of the cliches or tropes that you constantly are seeing in screenplays that you just wish they were just gone? <laughs> Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, one of the big ones, and it's talked about often, is this idea of um, the the opening where it's, you know, you see some really dramatic scene and then it cuts to, you know, two weeks ago or six months ago. Mm-hmm. That's sort of, and I don't even know what that's called. There's probably a name for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's certain things like that, that... Um, you just you, when you read a lot of scripts, like when you're the lone screenwriter writing your script, you don't realize that every screenwriter in the world is is um, 
you know, doing that same, same thing. I would say also originality. I mean, obviously originality counts for a lot. I remember in the nineties after Pulp Fiction hit the, um, mm. hit the scene, you know, oh, there was yeah. just, there was so many of these sort of, you know, <laughs> Pulp Fiction yeah, knockoffs and, um, you know, some of them were better than others, was but, night, um, it, something like eight nights, eight days in the Valley or something like yeah, that. Yeah. 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 Three, how, uh, yeah. Three days in the Valley with Charlie's there. Th- yeah. And uh, I mean, even a movie like go, you know, yeah. which was a big studio movie. It's like, it's, basically just kind of pulp, pulp fiction with a bunch of young you know urbanites what to, um, what to do in uh, what to do in Denver when you're dead something yeah, like that yep. was another one yeah, 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 there was a yeah, handful yeah. of those guys yeah, yeah. So, and and if you, you get I mean that's just the movies that got produced so think of how many oh. of those scripts were floating around there sure. um, so I would say really be original don't try and just um, knock off you know something or, or write like something else um, be original have your own voice. Now, um, screenwriting contests. What are your What's your opinion on them, and do you think they mean anything? Do they work? Do they help? Yeah. So, so, and I, you know, I kind of feel like I go against the grain with a lot of what the sort of the the, the common wisdom here with a lot of screenwriting contests is. Here, here's my opinion of, and I've had a lot of these people that run screenwriting contests. I've had them on my podcast, so you can go back and you can listen to some of these episodes for yourself. Um, what I have found with the screenwriting contest is the people who run the contest they genuinely understand that the best thing they can do to promote their screenwriting contest is have a bunch of really successful winners. So when you win their contest and then you go on to sell that studio script, that's a big feather in their cap and that's going to help them build their own business. So there is a sort of symbiotic relationship between the screenwriting contest and the screenwriters that entered it. And most of the people that have come on, not most, all the screenwriting contests, the people that I've talk to. They understand that. And so when someone wins a screenwriting contest, they're going to do what they can to help those people move along in their career. Obviously, the bigger contests, um, the Nichols, I think, is probably sort of the top of the key. Um, Tracking Board has done a fantastic job really promoting their winners and they're really well connected. Yeah. yeah, Austin. Yeah. So there's some, there's sort of some of these marquee contests that are definitely, if you can win them, you know, they, they they have some real value. Or even but place, even, even placing. Even placing. Correct. Correct. Um, but even the smaller contests, um, I think, you know, again, they can, they can have some value if you just manage your expectations and realize that, um, you know, uh, if it's not, even the nickels, like even if you go and look at the nickels, which is, I think, without any, I don't think anybody would argue that that's the top screenwriting contest. Mm-hmm. So, so even with the nickels, it's the top screenwriting contest. You can go and get a list of their winners and start to go on IMDb and see what their winners. Even winning the nickels, it doesn't guarantee you a screenwriting career. Most of the people that have won the nickels or placed nickels never went on to do much of anything. So you have to understand that contests are not the be all end all, and it's unlikely. Sometimes it happens, but most of the time it's just exactly what I was saying with the short films. It's just going to be another piece of the equation that kind of helps you. Again, it gives you a little something when you're talking to a producer. Hey, I just got a semifinal placing in this, you know, Joe Blow screenwriting contest. And maybe it doesn't count for a lot, but it counts for a little. And you never know how that's going to actually help you down the road. Obviously, don't submit to screenwriting contests um, if you can't afford it. I mean, this is not you – know, you shouldn't be using your rent money to submit to more screenwriting contests. <laughs> right. But if you can afford, if you can afford to do it, um, I recommend trying it. Um, you know, and I have a list on selling your screenplay of sort of – I think it's nine or ten contests that are all reputable. And it's the ones we mentioned and a bunch of others um, that I think are reputable and worth entering. Um, so that's kind of where I would, would – send people if you want to know specifically about that. But you just never know. The other sort of the bigger question of of this, and again, it goes back to what I was saying about short films, is I really feel like one big hurdle, and and I and I'd be curious to get your thoughts on this because mm-hmm. because I think you're in a similar situation. I mean, we're both from the East Coast. We moved out here kind of to make our dreams come true. One of the big things that I faced was growing up in Annapolis, Maryland. There were no artists. I mean, the only artist <laughs> that I knew was my guitar teacher, who was you know scratching out a living um, teaching you know high school kids how to play classic guitar. Mm-hmm. So that's my, that was my experience as an artist. So I didn't know writers. Certainly didn't know filmmakers. But there really were no no artist. So there's just sort of this 
this it, it it feels unattainable it feels like sort sure. of a pie in the mm-hmm. sky like it could never actually happen it just doesn't feel real and so you know entering a screenwriting contest even the lowliest screenwriting contest in the world or doing that short film and seeing it produced and and maybe that short film gets into a film festival i think it just it gives you confidence and it gives you it makes you feel like like these are things that you can do today and actually have some tangible results. If you're just hurling scripts at Universal Studios and the big producers <laughs> and the big stuff, right. you know, you're quite likely to go, you know, two, three, four, five, ten years or longer without having any tangible results of them mm-hmm. just saying, no thanks, no thanks, no thanks. So I think getting on the board and, and having some even minor success as early as early in your career as possible, it just makes you feel like it's real. And I think I, in hindsight, I was very, very lucky. I had been here about three years when me and my writing partner option that first script dish dogs but and they gave us 500 bucks for a six-month option and we were just tickled to death man i mean we were just (laughs) over the moon but all of a sudden i started to feel like maybe i got a shot at this maybe i can actually do this maybe i'm not this isn't just a pie in the sky so again with the contest with the short films understand what the expectations are understand that no they're not going to they're not going to turn your life around they're not going to change your life but they might give you a little bit of confidence just internally to you they might mm-hmm. be confidence to you it might be something that you can show your mother you know i just won this contest and she might be a little less skeptical of you throwing <laughs> everything in the car and, and driving out to los angeles you know there's just there's these little subtle things that i think are important and so many people give up and i'm sure you've had this experience too i mean when i got to la i went down to Senex casting i started doing extra work and um, you know i met a bunch of people and you know two years later half those people were gone three years later oh, yeah. you know I'm gone. Ten, five years, ten years, almost all of them are gone. And I wasn't smarter or more talented than these people. I was just more persistent. And I yep. just kept banging against the door. But but I think having that success with Dish Dogs, again, in hindsight, I was very, very lucky um, for a variety of reasons. Um, so I think that's where screenwriting contests, even the lowliest screenwriting contests, and same thing with the lowliest short film. That's where I think they can really be worthwhile no and I, I would agree with you coming from miami i mean i was surrounded by artists but uh not filmmakers it was hard to find filmmakers so mm-hmm. for me when i was growing up you know watching like movie magic on television on a saturday night watching the behind the scenes of terminator 2 you know mm-hmm. it's like oh my god i can see something and then later in life you know my connection to hollywood as as weird as it might be is watching entourage like it was a window into that world, whether it's extremely crazy as it was, it was still that window and it was a connection there. So we, a lot of times you do feel like you're on an island and it's some place that you, you think is completely unobtainable. That's why it took me so long to finally move out to L.A. It took me a long, long time. Uh, mm-hmm. And I've been out here for a decade now and it doesn't even I can't even remember a time where I wasn't in L.A., honestly. But mm-hmm. um, one of my best friends uh, that was one of the two, three guys I knew in L.A. when I came out here said, the only regret you will have to moving to LA as you didn't do it sooner. Mm-hmm. And he was absolutely right. From the moment he met me, he's like, why aren't you coming out to LA? When are you coming out to LA? You got to be out here. And there is something about being here. You know, a lot of people say, do I need to be in LA to make it? No, you don't. But it helps in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion, because you can walk into any Starbucks in LA and how many laptops will have Final Draft open? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're everywhere. You, you're surrounded by this entire... Um, it's entire industry and everybody, everybody walking the street is in the business in one way, shape or form. Yep, so yep. That's, that's infectious. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just our own, you know, coincidental meeting at AFM. Right. I mean, we both live in LA. We were, it was easy for us to get in our car and drive to AFM. We didn't have to get in a plane and go to a hotel and this, mm-hmm. like I would have never done it. You know, I would have just tried to do it online. So there's all these little subtle things and, and being in LA is another prime example. You get the question. It just when people ask it, you know, in some ways my heart sinks because when someone asks the question, you know what they want to hear. They want to hear that you don't have to move to LA because they're struggling with that. And, um, but the bottom line is, is, is it's going to help. Um, you know, you can, you can make it, it's, it's, it's not impossible, but you're making something that's already very, 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 very difficult. You're making it even more difficult by not moving to LA. Um, and, and, and a lot of people move to LA, make those connections, make a name for themselves and then move away. And that's completely <laughs> fine. And then they can just come back and forth for business. But at one, I think everyone does their time here. 
you know, want, or New York, you know, if New York's the other yeah. big place. Um, but generally speaking, if you're going to make it in, 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 in the movies, in the flicks, in the pictures, mm-hmm. uh, you know, being out here, it, it helps so, so, so much. And we're yeah. both prime examples. Yeah, yeah. So now, I agree. Uh, now, one thing I've always wanted to, to talk to somebody like you about is the how the screenplay is presented and all the kind of codes that I've heard that you that you know producers or production companies are like. Well, if it has three, um, what are those things called that hold the scripts together? The brass, yeah, the the brass braids. Yeah, yeah. So if there's three of them, they're obviously amateur, and I don't want to deal with it. So it has to have two. And then if they open up the first page, how some of the formatting has to be and. All that stuff. How much of that is real, and how much of it is, is BS? Yeah, so that's a good question, and you know, it's 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 subtlety, much like the the, the question about moving to LA. It's hard to quantify, and it's going to be different. There's no like, there's no set rules or this and that. But you know, think about from the perspective of the person who's going to be reading this script. You know, they're probably someone who's overworked and underpaid. They're sitting at a desk reading through dozens, if not hundreds of scripts, trying to find that diamond in the rough that they can bring to their boss. And so, you know, these little clues like what you're talking about now, I don't think anybody really is submitting scripts with the brass braids anymore. Now everything is electronic. So you're on. So yeah, so you're on. So you're submitting PDFs. But, you know, I mean, there are things that you know, I, nothing is, it's, there's no like hard and fast rules with screenwriting, but I would say, you know, getting a program like final draft or, or a, you know, some legitimate screenwriting program that will get you like 90% of the way there. Cause it'll take care of like the formatting mm-hmm. and you know, the proper, you know, and so you're 90% there. And then all you really need to do is go and you can go to selling your slash library. We got, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of script produced scripts listed there. So you can go and look, and I would say, look at some of the more modern ones and, you know, look at how the title page is laid out, lay out your title page, like, you know, a produced script. Um, so just don't do anything, you know, crazy, look at some produced scripts and try and model yours after it. Um, you know, but there are certain things that I think, again, if you are the, just put yourself in the mind of that overworked underpaid reader, if a script comes in and the formatting's off, what are you going to think? You're going to think this guy has not taken the time to learn the basics. And just kind of what you said, I don't know that there's a good example of like a screenwriting prodigy. I mean, screenwriting is one of those things. It just takes a lot of skill. It takes a lot of patience and time and like doing it. You just have to put in the hours to get good at this. And there's no, I don't know that there's really any escaping it. I mean, different people have different talent levels and, and people are able to, you know, maybe achieve success with different amounts of effort. But I I read Oliver Stone, like platoon was the script that kind of got him going. And I think that was like his 11th script. Um, you know, so even a guy like that, who is, you know, immensely talented, you know, super smart, um, even a guy like that had to write 10 scripts before he kind of mastered the craft and had one that people really respected and liked. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just part of the process. Um, and if you write 10 scripts and you're still getting some of these sort of formatting issues wrong, then, you know, yeah, that's probably another issue. Um, (laughs) I would say, you know, the, the length of script, this is a common thing I see, um, through the script analysis. And like, again, it's a very, very easy thing to look at. Like when you open up a PDF, it tells you you're looking at page one of, you know, 120 pages. So right on page one, that reader can look at what the page number is. And again, put yourself in the head of, a overworked reader. If you see that the script is 160 pages, um, you're just going to think, eh, does this guy really, maybe this guy's written the next Shawshank Redemption. And there's always that thought, but they're the next Godfather. I think the, the script for the Godfather, I think is 160 pages. So yeah, but you know, it's the Godfather. Yeah, exactly. It's the Godfather. <laughs> and are you, are you really Francis writing for, Godfather? Are you Francis yeah, for Coppola yeah, back yeah. in the 1970s? Yeah, exactly. So, so, you know, I would just really urge people to take that stuff as seriously as possible and try and do, you know, some due diligence, look at produced scripts and try and present yours in the best possible light. Um, cause I do think it counts, but I think again, it's a subtlety. And I think the act of going through and learning these rules and looking at those produced scripts, just doing that work will make you a better screenwriter. And that's the whole point is when someone sees a 160 page script, 
the first thing they're wondering is, okay, is this is this the next Francis Ford Coppola or is this some idiot who doesn't know what he's doing? Right. You know, and 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 by the way, I just read a hundred other scripts that were 160 pages and every of every one of them was a stinker. So, you know, they're going to, they're going to be like, yeah, I doubt this is the next Francis Ford Coppola with good reason because yeah. they've never read the next Francis Ford Coppola. They've read a thousand scripts this year and not one of them has been as good as the Godfather. So, um, yeah, if you're writing the Godfather, knock yourself out. But, um, <laughs> but I would say, be careful, be very right. careful. With that. Now, can you for once and for all tell screenwriters how to copyright their script. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a simple. So it's simple, there's, but there's a lot there's of misinformation. Two, yeah. Okay. So there's two pieces pieces of that. Number one, the WGA registration is a good, quick, cheap, easy thing to do, and you'll get a WGA number, and that's just a function of going to the WGA.org website, and there's a link that says register your script. I think it's twenty bucks, yeah. and it lasts for five years. And a lot of producers will have well, you have you fill out a release form, and they, on that release form, it might even say what's the WGA number. So that's a good first easy step. It, it'll take you five minutes and cost you $20. So I highly would recommend that. Then the other piece of that is going to the Library of Congress. And off the top of my head, it's going to be more than I could you know, explain. But I do have a post if you go to sellingyourscreenplay.com that's specifically labeled, you know, how to copyright your or, or yeah, copyright your, your, your script mm-hmm. and go do that. I'm not a lawyer, so I don't want to get into like the legal stuff. But I have had lawyers tell me that there are certain protections and stuff that the Library of Congress copyright will give you that the WJ registration will not. So he recommended, this was my lawyer, was recommending that I do register everything with both the WGA and the Library of Congress. In fact, I don't even know that he cared about the WGA. That's yeah. my recommendation. But he did, he was a lawyer and he did recommend that I recommend it, that, that I register it with the WGA. But it's just a matter of going through the process. It's all online in this day and age. So it's not that complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't remember I just can't remember off the top of my head what what it is, but I have a post where I go through it in great detail um, and explain how to do it. From my understanding, the WGA is is basically a token and has no legal uh, protection whatsoever, while the only one that really matters is the Library of Congress. The WGA is nice, um, but it really is kind of like a token. It's nice, but if you only do the WGA, you're in trouble. So you yeah, definitely yeah. have to have at least the the Library of Congress uh, as well, because that's the one that really counts. But you're right; they do. Are, there are producers who ask for the WGA, and there is a sense of <clears throat> credibility, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing, my experience with the Library of Congress is that it's always taken a long time, um, and I haven't done it in a, in a while, so my memory is a little little hazy. But when you <clears throat> register a script with them, they don't give you like. It's not instant registration. Oh, no. you just, it takes and so it's like six almost. months. Yeah, six months or nine months later, you'll get a letter with your actual, you know, Library of Congress registration number. Mm-hmm. And so often what I find is I get done with my script and I want to start sending it out. So the WGA will give you a registration number right then and there. So at least your your whatever their protection is, and again, you may be right that it doesn't offer much of any protection, but it is some protection. And so I always just do the WGA and then I don't, I don't feel bad about sending it out before that library of Congress letter actually comes back to me. Um, so I can start sending it out. At least I feel comfortable with that again, do your own due diligence, but that's what I do. Yeah. And, and from what I understand is once you register at the library of Congress, it starts at that moment you register. So if anything comes along and someone tries to take your stuff, you, you know, or tries to copyright it after you, yeah. You, you, you're first in line. You got that date. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So it starts from that date, even though you don't get the registration for a year. Now, can you um, uh, can you tell me a little bit about selling your screenplay uh, and yeah. what you do there? So sure. So this started. Um, I started, I think, in 2009 as just a blog, um, and I basically at that point I had written a ebook. Um, called of all things selling your screenplay. And I basically just <laughs> went and detailed my experience selling whatever scripts I'd sold up to um, the year, let's say 2007 or eight, when I actually wrote the book. Um, and I did a self-publishing with the book. And one of the big things that they were recommending at the self-published, the, the company that did, and I say self-publishing, I was working, this was sort of before Amazon publishing. Mm-hmm. So I actually worked with a company called Book Locker that sort of um, 
it's kind of like a distributor. I mean, they were the ones who actually pushed it into all these services and they would send out <clears throat> newsletters, how to market your ebook. So that's where it sort of started. They said, you know what, start a blog. And, um, and so that's what I did. 2009, I started this blog, selling your screenplay. I started to listen to a number of podcasts over the years, um, including Pat Flynn, who I guess we both, um, yeah. have some experience lately listening to. And so, in fact, Pat Flynn was really the first podcast I ever listened to. Um, cause he had, I would listen at night on the website and, um, and I really liked the format and it's exactly what you were talking about. You know, people get to really feel like they know the person because mm -hmm. you hear them talking and sharing stories about themselves and their family and stuff. So I thought it would be a great way to, you know, disseminate this information that, um, that I had. So about 2000, I guess it was four years ago, let's say 13, I started the podcast and now it's a weekly podcast and I'm a little over 200 episodes, um, into it. And I interview, you know, it's a screenwriting emphasis, obviously, but mm -hmm. it's a lot of independent filmmakers, um, you know, guys that are making the low budget genre films and, um, you know, they come on and they'll talk about how they wrote it, how they got it produced. And then there's also SYS select. And that is basically, um, you get access to a number of things, including some educational materials, a, a forum of the paid members. And then you also, um, get, um, leads that come out, you know, twice, three times, four times a week, we actually are networking with producers. And so we're then sending those leads to, um, to, to screenwriters and they're very specific stuff. As I sort of mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. um, it's a great way to actually see what actual producers are looking for. Um, so that's, I'd say selling your screenplay. <laughs> now, uh, you also <laughs> have a new, you have a new film. I see the poster behind you, uh, yep, yep. called the pin, the, the yep. pinch. Yeah. How do you, the uh, pinch, the pinch. Yeah, the pinch. So, uh, what's that? You directed it, you wrote it, you produced it. Tell me how, how that whole thing came about. Okay. So I, I think, um, you know, in a lot of ways, um, I think my, some of my motivation was similar to what you have talked about with, um, with your film is that I kind of felt like it could be a good case study. I could talk about it on the podcast and I could kind of show people as I went through this process, how you can go about writing and then directing and producing, you know, a low budget film. Now the real impetus to it was, and you can go back and listen to my podcast. Cause I, I usually take a few minutes on every podcast and kind of talk about what I'm doing as a screenwriter. And, um, I'm trying to think it must have been maybe 2014 um, in the fall. I got two back to back writing assignments and um, yeah, yeah. Nice. So I got these two writing assignments and you have to work so hard to get those writing, like oh, just to get these jobs. Massive, yeah. it, it, it's, it's a huge amount of effort. And I mean, one of the writing assignments, um, I had one of them actually came through a guy I had interviewed on the podcast. That's actually how I mm -hmm. met him. But the other one was, um, <clears throat> The, the distributors of one of my past films, um, they are on a list of just a cold email list that I send out query letters to. And um, they actually re had recognized my name and responded and said, oh, yeah, we'd like to um, potentially hire you to do a project. We're starting to produce our own stuff. And But this process went on for, I think it went on for like a year and a half where I would meet with them and just things never quite worked out. So finally they said, okay, we're ready to go after a year and a half of, of kind of waiting for this. And so I do these two back-to-back -back writing assignments and um, and again, I have nothing but good things to say about the people that I was working with individually. But, um, you know, just creatively, it was not fulfilling. I was writing their ideas. It was brutal work. One of the scripts the guy needed in literally a week. So I wrote the entire feature film script in six days. It was a very rough six days, needless to say. Mm. Um, and then and that one actually ended up never getting produced. The other script I wrote and um you know, there was a lot of rewriting back and forth. Um, you know, a lot of what I thought was my best, the best scenes in there, they were taking them out. And some of it was just budgetary. They didn't think for the budget they had, they could do it. So some of it I kind of understood, but a lot of it I didn't necessarily. Finally, they brought on a director and then the director just literally completely rewrote the whole project, did a page one rewrite, didn't like anything I did. Um, and again, that's part of the process. Mm -hmm. But I just got to the point where, um, you know, at this stage in my life, um, like I just don't need it. Like it's, it's the money that <laughs> know, they paid man. me. It's like the money that they paid me was not worth the, you Hassle. know, the juice, the juice Stress. that I got out of it. Sure. Um, and, and so I said, you know what, I've got to just go and try something on my own. And, um, and that's what I did. I had written the pinch. Um, so I, that's when I started writing the pinch and I knew this was something I was going to potentially do myself. So I kept it. I, I made sure that it was low budget. It was very contained, small cast, limited locations. And, um, and, and, and I tried to use, follow some of my own advice was it's kind of a crime action thriller. It's a genre film, you know, a low budget genre mm -hmm. film. It's not like sort of an art house film. Um, so I 
felt like, you know, there might be an audience, you know, through self-distribution, you know, you put the poster up and I got a bunch of guys you can see on the poster, you know, everybody's holding a gun or a knife. Um, So it is, it is what it is. You know, it's a low budget (laughs) genre film. Um, but this is what I feel like I can actually sell and potentially, um, you know, make more of these if I can turn this into a, to a business model. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Now, um, so I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions. I ask all my, um, all my guests. What would what advice would you give a screenwriter wanting to break into the business today? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of what we've kind of discussed, I mean, get out there, write short films, just, you know, submit to some of these people on Craigslist looking for short films, get your career going network. I think, I think especially, and and I understand this because this is the way I am too. I am sort of an introvert. Um, you know, I prefer to just write scripts. I don't want to go out and meet people. Um, I mean, going to AFM is just, it's a brutal thing for someone like myself because it's just constantly meeting people and, and having to make small talk with people you don't know. It's very difficult. And so I understand that most people that go into writing, they're probably like that. Um, but you've got to get out of your shell and um, you've got to network and you've got to meet people and you've got to understand what these producers are looking for um, and kind of get over yourself, get over your, you know, this idea that you're just going to keep writing, being your room just writing 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 because at some point that's not gonna that's not gonna cut it now um can you tell me what book had the biggest impact on your life or career um yeah, I'd had have to say, and, and and this might be different than what I would recommend, but when I was early on, and and I'm I'm giving all these long-winded explanations. I know this is rapid fire. So my first foray into screenwriting was I got a copy of the Writer's Market, and in there there was a bunch of pages of um, production companies that supposedly would read query letters from new people. So I wrote up a query letter, or what I thought was a good query letter, and sent it off to I think two people. I just picked two that seemed especially open, and one of them, and back then it was like you would put a self-addressed stamp postcard in in there so that they could easily reply to you so one of them i get the postcard back and it says thank you for that undated un you know titled manuscript submission no thanks and um and so i realized then that i was doing something wrong the other guy just took pity on me and he actually called me and um he recommended sid field's screenplay and um I went out and I got that book and um, and I would say that had the biggest sort of profound impact because all of a sudden, you know, as someone at this point, I was in college in North Carolina, again, knowing no filmmakers, this was pre really the internet. So mm-hmm. I suppose maybe the internet existed, but it wasn't, you couldn't just get a bunch of scripts. So it was very difficult to get this sort of information. So once he told me that Sid Field's screenplay had a ton of practical use for information, mm-hmm. it's real big on structure, but um, just some of the stuff like the braids, I had never seen a script. I didn't even know what these brass braids even were <laughs> right, at that right, point. Right. Um, and, and Sid Field's talks he's he talked about that a little bit um you know two brass braids and and on your script and stuff so that was just a big turning point where all of a sudden i started to you know i was going this direction and then all of a sudden that book sort of you know got me back going the other direction which i think was sort of the right direction yeah that that i remember reading that book in college too and it blew my mind i'm like what every movie's the same what (laughs) it just blew my mind um now what lesson took you the longest to learn whether in life or in the business. I think a lot of what we've been talking about is just how important understanding, you know, who you're going to sell your script to. And this is, you know, I've been asked similar questions like if you had to do it all over again, how would you do it differently? What I would do if I was just moving to Hollywood now, I would make a real concerted effort to find a, a PA job at a distribution company, a company that was distributing films and learn that side of the business, understand why, why they're taking this film and they're not taking that film. And that would just be really, really valuable for any screenwriter. Um, and it took me a long time to learn it. I didn't do that. And, um, you know, just through trial and error and this, this movie dish dogs, it really was a low budget indie or a low budget genre film. Um, it was a comedy, but there was like these, you know, young guys, they went to a strip club. So, we had kind of me and my buddy just stumbled onto it. Um, and so it took a while to, for me to really understand, well, why did they buy that script? Mm-hmm. And, um, it was a lot of these things I'm talking about was cause if they could promote the nudity, they could promote a bunch of sexy strippers. Sure, um, sure. You know, that was kind of a cool story. Um, I mean, these guys were doing, you know, movies with Frank Stallone. So that just sums <laughs> up what they, what they were doing, but, but there's something to that and understanding that lesson is so important. Um, now, I normally ask what your three favorite movies of all time are, but what are your f- three favorite scripts of all time? 
You know, it's a good question. Um, I mentioned Shawshank Redemption. Um, I really, yeah, it's a great movie, but the script is equally as good. Um, I I, I read um, the script for Source Code. I've recommended that to other people. Um, I think the the script is a lot better than the finished film. So if you've seen the film and we're sort of ho-hum on the film, I would highly recommend you go back and find that script. I think, and and I I don't know that I've actually ever read the script for The Wizard of Oz. I have two small children, and um, we went through this Wizard of Oz phase where they're watching it over and over again. And um, you look at some of those old classic movies, and um, like you talk about Sid Fields and his sort of structural paradigm and how easily that and organically that fits on a film like The Wizard of Oz. Um, I'm always blown away. Wizard of Oz is so well structured, and it's just, it's a perfect movie, like for so many reasons. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's it's worth looking at at, at all these movies I, I mentioned to Shawshank Redemption and Source Code. But Wizard of Oz is kind of a perfectly built movie, um, you know, from the character arc to the structure of it, um, to the midpoint, to the antagonist. Um, it's 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 I, there's nothing there's very few movies I see that I say I, I as a screenwriter, I think hey, I could have done that. Just I would have tweaked that or I would have changed that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Wizard of Oz is one of the movies I, I, I there's not anything I can really point to. I say, yeah, they could have done this better um, or they could have done that better. Um, you know, Megamind is another movie um, that I watch. I, my kids have watched it over and over and I'll be sitting there watching it. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know that I've ever actually read the script, but the script is so smart and it's so perfect. Um, there's very little, again, with a movie like Megamind that I would change. I can't think of anything, um, you know, that I would change about that script. And I know Robert McKee is a big fan of Casablanca. Yes, Casablanca. Yeah, yeah, for, is, sure, for sure. It's amazing. Now, where can people find you? Yeah, so um, sellingyourscreenplay.com. Obviously, I'm over there um, podcasting weekly. Um, I am on Twitter. I would highly recommend sellingyourscreenplay.com. All my Twitter and um, you know Instagram and that stuff, it's listed in the upper right-hand corner. But I am on Twitter and Facebook. Um, I think it's facebook.com slash sellingyourscreenplay. Don't quote me on that. I'm on YouTube. I do release my podcast on YouTube. So if you prefer to get the video and the audio, you can check that all out. Um, and again, I think it's youtube.com slash sellingyourscreenplay. But if you just go to sellingyourscreenplay.com, um, all of those links are in the upper right hand corner of the homepage. Ashley, man, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, man, and, and talking shop with you. So thanks for being on the show, man. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And it's a long time coming. I'm so glad we were able to finally connect. <laughs> cool, man. Thanks. I want to thank Ashley for being on the show and dropping some major knowledge bombs on us. So thank you very much, Ashley. If you want the show notes for this episode, just head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash BPS004. And don't forget to head over to screenwritingpodcast.com and leave us a good review if you find value in these episodes. It really helps us out a lot with the rankings on iTunes. And if you haven't already, please subscribe. It really, really does make a difference. I really hope you're enjoying this first batch of episodes of the Bulletproof Screenplay Podcast. There are many more to come. You've got another couple of fresh ones as well, so just keep on listening. And I truly hope they are of value to you and your screenwriting journey. And as always, keep on writing no matter what. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Bulletproof Screenplay Podcast at BulletproofScreenplay.com. That's B-U-L-L-E-T-P-R-O-O-F-S-C-R-E-N-P-L-A-Y.com. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia.